This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello, Alan. How you doing, Rich? You okay? I am very well, and thank you very much for agreeing to take part. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Question number one. When you were younger, who did you support and who were your childhood football heroes? Uh, I was and very much still am an Arsenal supporter. Um, growing up in North London uh, with my mum and dad uh, from Islington, it was um, <laughs> it was it was the only club uh, that it was going to be. And whilst things have been difficult in recent years, it's still I'm still happy with the way that's turned out. Yeah, Arsenal. Arsenal's my team. Yeah, yeah. There was never ever going to be any other club. It's it's really weird. It's one of those. You're one of those sort of footballers that weirdly I knew that you supported Arsenal. You know, a lot of footballers hide their teams. Not so much now, I guess. But back then, it was known that you were Arsenal as well. So you know, always open. Yeah, I think every time I ever got asked an interview like like we're doing right now, I've always just said, yeah, that, that's that's the team I support. So, um, yeah. It's uh, one of the things later on in life it can always potentially bite you on the backside if <laughs> you know one of the rival clubs comes in for you. But um, and I found that out as a kid, as I'm sure you'll go on to when I was really young, I ended up at Tottenham. So um, that's just obviously Arsenal's rivals. But um, yeah, Arsenal supporter. Um, and that's yeah, some, been to a lot of games over the years. Even obviously not so much recently, but last the last one I went to, I can't remember. I went to two of the 
two of the cup finals, the whole one and the Aston Villa one uh, a few years ago, um, which was great. Um, and then, but heroes wise, um, Dennis Bergkamp is my ultimate hero. Um, just yeah, just a pleasure to, to watch him play. And uh, Ian Wright was another one. Um, obviously, that sort of era, uh, they were my main two growing up. But I, I loved all the, the sort of the Lee Dixon era. Weirdly, as a right back, uh, like just I love Lee Dixon. Um, I even wrote to him once when I was a about a seven-year-old kid, and he sent me a signed photo back, which was nice of him. Never forgot that. Um, yeah, so that sort of early, earlier David Rowcastle, Tony Adams sort of time. That was that was when I first started going, sort of in the late eighties, early nineties, and um, yeah, just carried on from there really. Yeah, loved I am to talk about Arsenal a lot because um, this is a Swindon podcast, obviously. But <laughs> you and you and I are the same age, so you know some of my earliest memories um, watching football on TV. I mean, I remember watching the It's Up for Grabs Now game, you know, I remember that Michael Thomas goal. It's not one of these sort of like made up memories because you see the highlights over the years. I remember that evening, you know, where I was living at the time, I remember just being like so much excitement. Nobody supported Arsenal, but the fact that it was coming down to that last game, I just vividly remember that as a kid. I went to Highbury once um, and again, maintain it was... I've said it before, it was one of the best football days for a neutral I think I ever had. 3-0 yeah. win over Southampton, double winning season, 97-98, I want to say. Uh, it was not, It was double season, 97 Yeah, 97-98, yeah. 3-0, Burkamp, Adams and one other. It was It was just a very unique setup there. It was beautiful, yeah. Like, and the Emirates is lovely, as everyone knows, but it's not hybrid. And I think many, a, many an Arsenal fan would love to be back at hybrid and nostalgia and the probably the, the romance of the, of the stadium was was something yeah something to behold and yeah loved Highbury and like even like you I remember the the 89 uh, Michael Thomas goal and I can remember it I think I was yeah I'd have been six at the time and I can like you I've got a genuine memory of that um which is quite nice and do you feel I think the film I don't know if you've seen it I think that does it yeah, justice fever quite pitch, well yeah yeah the, uh, the and, and yeah fever pitch and obviously they bought a Lee Dixon to help producer a film in a year or yeah, two of course, ago called yeah. 89 and that's that's a really good watch for 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 any football fan obviously especially an Arsenal fan but um yeah good good memories really good memories okay so let's talk about Alan Connell the young footballer so before we get to Tottenham what were your memories of playing football as a kid what position were you and and ultimately how did you get noticed and was it just Spurs at the time uh, I was obsessed from a young age. It was literally my earliest, whatever my earliest memory was, it was, I want to be a footballer. I was so single-minded, that was all I was ever going to be. And you sort of, you think, obviously, as it's proven, loads of people don't turn out to be footballers. But I was so driven and determined, it was it's all I wanted to do. Um, so from a young, as young as I can remember, it was just football, football, football. I did play other sports as well at school and at home and stuff as well. But... Um, yeah, I love my football and sort of te- when I was young, sort of five, six, seven, eight, I was technically good, um, which probably got me eventually noticed after playing for my Sunday league team, which was a club called Enfield Rangers, obviously in Enfield in North London, where I was, where I'm from, um, and I think I trained at West Ham, maybe if memory set West Brom as well. I think I got into like a regional centre there, um, but there was a Tottenham scout who had a good link to Enfield Rangers and. Very quickly, I think I was eight years old. I was I was in at Tottenham and um, sort of never 
like yeah that was it I'd never really looked back from there it was just training twice a week as it was then um remember getting like I think it was like a pound expenses petrol money at the time which my dad <laughs> finally actually gave to me as pocket money um and yeah remember, and we trained at White Hart Lane in this as a ball court underneath the sort of stadium and that was my early memories as a, as a young footballer alongside obviously playing for my Sunday team and playing for the school and just yeah love football just you know, lived it breathed it like I still do now um and it was, uh, it was, it was, yeah. I would go as far as I say it was. I was just obsessed to be a footballer. It's all I ever wanted. I love the idea that you're unsure. You have vague memories of uh, training or playing for West Ham and West Brom. I'd be dining out on that now, regardless. Of how <laughs> I old think I had a couple of sessions, maybe. I can't remember. Camps. Tottenham was the obvious one because it was the, the closest. Yeah. So you know Islington Arsenal family it's really interesting isn't it because I've had this conversation with people before and you know if I was a 10 year old my setup's a bit different but if I was a diehard Swindon fan and Oxford United were the only club for example that put in um, an offer for me I'd probably take it but a lot of people like absolutely not what what are your memories was there any dilemma for the family or was it like you got to get to Spurs now yeah, I don't obviously over remember, but I don't. There was no real. Oh no, we don't can't do it. Don't do it. That wasn't. <laughs> don't get me wrong. We, you know, my dad was brought up in an era where, you know, like it is now. Really, there is obviously a rivalry there, mm. but it was never really an issue. I think my ultimate dream, and I always not tried, but there was always, if ever there was a way of trying to let Arsenal know that, you know, that I wanted to go there. I think there was a scout maybe come to a game or I can't remember. And it was at one stage, even my neighbour who's an Arsenal fan, I think he wrote to Arsenal. Um, about me realising to say, have a look at this kid, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was quite happy at Tottenham doing quite well. So, um, But yeah, if Arsenal would have come in for me, I'm sure I probably would have would have, uh, would have have wanted to go there. But it, it, it never happened. But I remember in the early days, you'd never had no training kit like the boys get given now. So you could wear your own kit. And I actually wore my Arsenal kit quite a lot, <laughs> um, which didn't actually go down particularly well. And... Um, one of my dad's friends is writing a book at the moment. I think it's out at Christmas. It's basically about all the old days at Highbury on the North Bank and all that. Um, I think there's a little bit in there about me. And I, he done some research, so I've been told. He worked with a guy that works at Tottenham um, like part-time. And he reckons that one of the reasons they started then making training kit compulsory is because they were sick and tired of me wearing my Arsenal kit. Now, I don't know if that's 100% true, but I know at the time it wasn't. I don't think they particularly liked the fact that um, I was wearing my, my Arsenal not Arsenal kits training. So we ended up getting, I think we were sponsored by a pony at the time, Tottenham. Yeah. And uh, we ended up getting some pony sort of training training kit out of it. So, um, yeah, that was my, my early memories. You absolutely have to leave your mark, you know. Yeah, I know. By, by it, all... That's all the academy kids in worldwide <laughs> football can thank me for that, if that is true, which... Again, that's so, apparently that is true, so I'll <laughs> I, take that guy's word for it. I don't want to wear Hewlett-Packard. I want to wear JVC, damn it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, Hewlett-Packard <laughs> like... was the, the match day kit. I remember, the, again, that was Pony. Like you say, Hewlett-Packard it was, yeah. It <laughs> so, was. so how old were you when you first rocked up at Spurs then? So Under nine. So wow. I, I was eight. Well, I was at Tottenham from eight to, I think I was 15. Okay. Um, so I was still playing Sunday League until I was 12, and then from 12... Sort of, I went into like full time with Tottenham, where it was two or three times a week training plus playing on Sunday and obviously playing good games. I remember playing 
Arsenal, Southampton, you know, big clubs, which I think other ones that we'd have played. West Ham, yeah, loads. I can't remember them all. But, yeah, good times. Loads of, like, learnt loads and playing against, obviously, top players um, for your age group all, all around. And I had a lot of success when I was young. Um, scored a lot of goals. Was genuinely, I'd like to think, one of the better players. And it probably got to about the age of about 14 uh, probably late mature other players developing quicker and stronger and quicker than me and I kind of had to survive and find use my brain which I like to think I did in my professional career um, and yeah, players physically just overtook me and when I was 15 I was I was struggling I was struggling with that sort of the whole maturation stuff and while I still was technically good I just couldn't affect a football match in any sort of way Um but I never, and while I probably had doubts in some ways, I just thought I'll get through this, and I'll, I'll you know, I'm still. It's not going to affect. It's not going to change my mindset that I'm going to be a footballer. I'm just having a, a bad time that I need to get through. And um, I remember when I was like, that would have been under 15s, I think. I wasn't going to get a, a scholar or you know, an apprenticeship, so I, um, I think I left before I, re- I was released. But I would have 100% been released. Um, I was struggling at that stage when I was 15 I couldn't even get my school team I remember just yeah for all the ability that I had which I, I just couldn't affect games like I said so um, a, a real struggle for a, probably a couple of years yeah and it was hard like leaving that environment but I wasn't performing at the time and yeah at the time I suppose I, I wasn't good enough to be in that environment I suppose at the time yeah who did you come through with um, Spurs any any names <sighs> No, no. Uh, Peter Crouch was. I was fifteen. I remember him. He would have been a couple of years older. I remember sort of seeing him. I didn't play with him. No one at Tottenham that's had any sort of career. My brother was at Tottenham for a little bit, and he was in the same age group as Luke Young. Nice, yeah. Um, So I remember seeing him again, but again, didn't play with anyone that I can remember that at Tottenham. No, no one actually went on to do anything. which, um, yeah, I suppose is a little bit surprising. But as we know, there's not many that obviously get gelled away through. So, um, yeah, there wasn't yeah. any, unfortunately. And do you remember any of the opposition? Um, again, no one that stands out. I remember more from my, my, my Ipswich days, which I'm sure we'll come on to in sort of youth team, sort yeah. of 17, 18. I remember players then that have gone on to have a career, but not in the schoolboy program, maybe the names weren't as readily available as they are now, but no one that stands out that I can clearly remember, no. Yeah, you'll you'll look at the team lists one day and you'll go, oh, bloody hell, I played against that guy. Yeah, maybe. You know? yeah, okay. Yeah. okay, so this is where the internet lets me down when I do my research and things like that. I've, I've learned more than once to not trust Wikipedia and I do try and deep dive as much as I can. But yeah. So 15, you leave Spurs. So what's what's the gap between Spurs and Ipswich yeah a, tr- a tricky time um, again it's hard to remember everything but mm-hmm. I, I think I played some youth team games for uh, a team in Hertfordshire called Ware mm-hmm. Ware Town I think it's Ware Town or just Ware I can't remember I think I played a few games then um, did I go on tra- I might have gone on trial at one or two clubs oh I did actually I went to Luton I went to Peterborough um where else did I go? Might have gone somewhere else. But them two stick out. And again, I didn't do enough. Um, and I hate I hate both. There's nothing against them clubs individually. Um, but I just remember going there thinking, this isn't for me. I just didn't like it. didn't feel happy. 
I think I was there one or two training sessions, so nothing major. Um, and eventually I got a letter from a guy from Tottenham called Ted Powell. I don't think he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he sent me a letter uh, to say there's a new college, uh, not a new a college in South London um, called St. Francis Xavier College that, um, that opened up like a new football academy type thing. Um, so that sort of made me think, okay, I'll give this guy. It had a BTEC sports science course alongside it. So I was leaving school. And at that time, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I remember I applied for like a job at 16 in the Arsenal club shop. I remember <laughs> that. Um, and luckily, this opportunity came along. And I went to a college in South London, took me over an hour getting there. And it really made me grow up because it was like train and tube every day over an hour from North London to South London. And it, where I said I was probably... I was I was a, a I was like a little boy really, and I had to grow up quite quickly and go into any inner city London and um, all the challenges that that can bring. So went went there, liked what I saw. They were going to do football, I think f- four days a week pl- alongside the education side of it and play games against other colleges and stuff. And then we're trying to start something. Um, so yeah, I went end up going there. Uh, did a year and I grew up. I like to think I grew up loads, um, played a lot of football, like not the best standard, but I found, I almost found that I was wanted there. I um, scored a lot of goals, played a lot of games, obviously training every day. And it wasn't quite, you know, an academy set up as in, you know, like being at a Tottenham or an Arsenal or a Chelsea or wherever, but it was right for me probably at the time. Mm-hmm. And I look back now, it was a great experience. And I was there a year and uh, my old Tottenham scout, Dickie Moss, um, he recommended me to his friend who's an Ipswich scout called Len Herford. Um, and he got me a trial Ipswich, which would have been, I think, about a year. So I was in I was in the middle of a two-year course and this trial came up a year in. Um, so I would have been, what age would I have been? I would have been 17 at this point, the start of my under-18 season. Because in them days, a scholarship for a youth team player was three years, whereas a lot of them now are two years. So I missed the first year because I was at college. Um, and then I went on trial at Ipswich. And, uh, and I had a good week's training, really enjoyed it. Stand-up was good. And on the Saturday, I was on the bench, and we had Man City away. Um, and I remember Sean Wright Phillips was watching the game, weirdly, and he would only been a couple of years older. He, I knew who he was. And I had a good week's training. I come on as a sub at 0-0, and I scored a really good goal. We won 1-0. Um, so that was like I couldn't get any any better start on a, on a for a trial game, um, and off the back of that, then I've, I got signed. But it wasn't a conventional scholarship, I don't think, because I was already a year. Um, they were, all the other lads were a year in, but they signed something like a two year form as such, and I got paid expenses, and it was kind of I kind of got around it that way. I can't remember the audience and outs of it. Um, so I left my, my college course halfway through, never completed it, my sports science, even though I actually done quite well at that stage academically, because um, my GCSEs, I sort of didn't really, I kind of, yes, kind of sacked it off a bit because <laughs> I did, I, I was I was really good at school until I was 14. I just yeah. lost my way, not in a, like nope, a, a, exactly a the horrible same. way. Yep. But yeah, I just wanted Maxed to be a footballer that much. It took me off the ball and um, as anyone went back to that college, I actually started, cause it was something I was interested in, I actually started to apply myself properly again. But yeah, cut a long story short, great year at the college, football-wise. And I, I played for like England colleges as well, got recognised sort of for that, played a couple of games for them. And yeah, great experience, learnt a lot, grew up a lot. And um, <laughs> that's, yeah, the opportunity at Ipswich was just unbelievable. I loved it. The facilities, it was only an hour from London, from home. 
Um, so I'd go home on a weekend um, and I just learned it really them two years it really shaped my career I learned so much at such a good club and it kind of I don't know I just learned loads and the type of player I am all this or I was sorry the sort of combination play with fellow forwards and sort of all that stuff and loads of stuff like that Ipswich uh, so I was really fortunate um, to be there at that time and again at Ipswich I had two years there I was sort of, I did, I, I, so I played with like that Darren Bent was, yeah. I played up front with Darren Bent quite a lot, Darren Ambrose, loads of men have good careers, who else? Um, Matt Bloomfield, who's still playing for yeah, Wickham. Wickham yeah. uh, who else? Lewis Price, yeah, goalkeeper, goalkeeper yeah. um, who ironically is now at Bournemouth where I am, as a coach, just joined as a coach after retiring. Uh, Matt Richards played for Ipswich for a long time. Ian Westlake was another one, had a good career. Yeah. Mm. Who else? Who else? Yeah, loads. Which real talented group, and um, but I never got anywhere near the reserves. Like, <laughs> nowhere near it. I wasn't. I learnt loads. I like to think I was decent and improved. But it was such a golden group that were there. They were just their other players were ahead of me really. But I, I, t- I just grafted every day, and because I joined late, I didn't quite have to do college like everyone else. It was weird. And so I used to get to train with the first team once a week. So on my day off, I'd go in. So I'd train with the first team, Matt Marcus Stewart, Matt David Holland, Johnson and people like that. David Johnson, yeah. Herman Horiderson, oh. Richard Wright, uh, Jim Magilton, um, like some, yeah, incredible players. And I, like I said, I couldn't get anywhere near the reserves. And I'd train with the first team while the lads were at, co- at college on a Wednesday or Thursday, wherever it was. But and if they weren't in, I would be literally a bag of balls on my own and just keep <laughs> like, finishing. I literally... I got every ounce out of Ipswich Town. It was a great experience for me. and I learned so much. And like I say, I, I lived and breathed every second of football when I was there. Um, and I really think that sort of mindset and that two-year experience really shaped me for, for the rest of my career. And um, had some good moments at Ipswich, scored some good goals that I vaguely remember. Um, I was a bit homesick at times. Um, as well, yeah. which isn't isn't easy. Um, even though I was sort of eighteen at the time. Um, and yeah, just, I just loved it and then yeah but I knew at the end of my two years I went to Holland a couple of times and scoring in a couple of tours we played there and sort of tournaments um, but I knew I was never I wasn't going to get a pro contract I just knew it it was it was, it was just a given really I don't know why I just just because I never got anywhere near the reserves it was then uh, people like Darren Bent were ahead of me it was, wasn't going to happen so two years there loved it and then, yeah, to go and find, move on to Pasha's new and try and carry on and I'll build a professional career if I could. Yeah. At Ipswich, you were talking there about, like, you got so much out of them. Who who was the coaching influence at that stage? Who's the person that nurtured Alan Connell um, to, to eventually progress into the Football League? I think, well, my mum and dad and my brother were, like, the biggest influences yeah. um, in, in my life, for sure, and like, the support they gave me. Um, throughout my professional career as well but then looking back at Ipswich the, the coaches in particular were uh, Paul Goddard used to be a striker yeah. um, for West Ham and Derby if I remember I think Ipswich as well at the end of his career um, he was a good coach a guy called Ian Smith and academy director and also a coach was a, a guy called Brian Klug who oh, also yeah. has been part of their first, I think he's been assistant manager to Ipswich I think he's even been caretaker manager and a real sort of good guy um, and a good coach. Another Simon Milton used to play for Ipswich. He was yeah, about right. as well. Um, so just yeah, some really really good people there uh, that helped. And uh, George Burley was a manager. Not that I had much to do with him, but he was a manager at the time. Um, so they would be the people. And again, just playing with good players really helped as well. 
Now, there's one more thing before we leave uh, Ipswich, because there's one thing that I remember from that era more than anything. It's because my name is quite rare, but around that time, they had a goalkeeper called James Pullen, right? Yeah, I knew you were going to say it as soon as you said your name. Yeah, he was. (laughs) So I actually, the digs I moved into, he just left. So he's a goalkeeper. Yeah, he's a kit man there now, I think. He's kit man now, he is, yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, good guy. Yeah, good goalkeeper he was actually. He might have played for the first team. I got close to it. Um, you got so one yeah, game. Quite... One game. It was, yeah, was it one game? One oh, game. Okay, in the, go. yeah, you got one game. This is quite a thing for the Pullens because you know we don't do much. Um, <laughs> so when one who's not related, I cannot stress that enough, um, yeah. goes on to play in the football league, then you remember it. I think he won yeah. like the football league trophy up with um, Blackpool at one stage. But there, there you go. Now he's kit man at Ipswich. James Pullen, everyone. Okay. Karushi's delivery and Carl. We'll talk about instant impact. If I'm honest, and you know, you know, something that I always loved about your career is it's a hustle. You know, it's it's you know, you look through your career, your footballers' careers, especially the higher up you go, and it's it just looks they've worked so hard to get to where they've got to, but it looks so seamless for mm. you. And I don't mean this in any negative way at all because I genuinely I'm a lower league football fan. So yeah. you know, when I see your career, I see that you have had to work every season. No sort of relaxing, no, like, I'm here now. You've really had to sort of go for it. But after Ipswich, you go to Bournemouth. And that's the team I associate yourself with. Of course, you work for them now. But as a lower league football fan, I I know you as a Bournemouth player. I remember mm. when I was at university, one of my mates on the course, he was a Bournemouth fan. And he. I remember him being disappointed, for example, when you went to Torquay. I remember that conversation. That's the sort of person really? I am, sadly. Um, oh, nice, it, nice it, it's a curse. But I remember him bemoaning um, you going to Torquay. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, the, the team that you played for is a team that, you know, I've got a lot of admiration for, mostly because they used to be a right nuisance when it came to Swindon Town. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, um, Neil Moss in goal, and then you've got Carl Fletcher, Carl Broadhurst, yeah. Wade Elliott, Marcus Browning, James Bloody Hato, who's the, one of the t- players I hate the most, not because he was, he just always scored against us. Yeah. Warren yeah. Feeney, Steve Fletcher, obviously, Stock, loads of players came through. Gareth Stewart was another goalkeeper, loads and loads and loads. Yeah. And Sean O'Driscoll was the manager, and he was the manager that everybody in League One and League Two wanted around that time. So, mm. I mean, basic question to a whole ramble there. What do you remember about moving to Bournemouth and what it was like then for you? Interesting, because like, I was a let-up switch, and one of the things they said was, you know, we don't think you're, like, like I said, when I was a late mature, like not physically strong enough, not quick enough, all that sort of don't think you can handle the rigours of you know professional football. Um, so that was part of the reason, and I, I was didn't I literally I was in no man's land. I was like, I want to be a pro. Mm. I need to I need to be a pro. Someone I've got to impress someone. Went to the exit trials at um, Lillishaw, and I had a choice of trials done well there. Actually, I had a choice of Bournemouth, Macclesfield, or Doncaster. So it's a pretty easy decision to go yeah. right. Let's call Bournemouth <laughs> up and try and arrange a trial. Went there on trial. Done scoring against Crystal Palace. Um, in a reserve game on my first game, Wayne Routledge played. I remember that. Um, but I, play, I played and done well, and it sort of had a couple more games done well, and, and eventually, eventually, because I had an embargo, I think, or 
some sort of money problems as Bournemouth always did back then. Um, eventually uh, signed in, that was about March time, and eventually signed in the June, ready for pre-season, start of July. So, yeah, it was literally a dream come true to class myself as a professional footballer. It was like, wow, like not that I've made it, but yeah, I've kind of made it sort of thing. Um, and it wasn't easy, like you said. And then I properly moved away for the first time. And, you know, I was in digs and never went home. And um, I just I fell in love with a place. I'm 18 and a half years later. I'm still here. Um, and I class it as home, even though, as we've just spoken about, I'm from London. Um, and, yeah, I was 19. I was in a first-team environment. It was just, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. And I just literally felt like I was living my dream. And, yes, it was in League 2 because we just got relegated from League 1. Um, but I was a professional footballer. And in a first-team, I got I my name on the back of a shirt. Number 17 was my first-ever squad number, which is why it's, I wore it so much in my career and probably now become my favourite number and um, yeah and then like you say all the names you just mentioned were, were my teammates um, some really good players and it, it was just a great dressing room for like to, to grow up in really like, again I was the youngest in the squad I just okay, and it was almost like wow this is what men's professional football was like um, and I loved it I absolutely loved it yeah and um, yeah a couple of months in I sort of made my debut and went from there, really. Oh, yeah. And, you, and you know, other than the first few games, you really hit the ground running up until um, your season was ended. But there was something about that era with Bournemouth that the players always seemed to stick around despite all the financial difficulties. People like Hayter could have gone so much earlier than they actually did. What was it about? Is it just because, I mean... Is it, you're getting paid at the end of the day? Is it because Bournemouth's a nice place to live? What was keeping people down there? I mean, there was a lot of local lads in there as well, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And, but it's bizarre. Like, obviously, a lot of them people now are, are obviously the manager, for example, and a lot of the staff, you know, we are still here. It's just, it's a beautiful place to live for sure. Like, and I don't know, the club itself, I, again, I'm biased, but I've been fortunate to play for some, for some what I would call some great clubs. Um, and Bournemouth just felt like home straight away mm. and like I say it's such a nice place to live people do tend to stick around um, and the manager just Sean O'Driscoll at the time he was extremely loyal to his players there wasn't you know in a lot of non-leagues now you see it you know uh, non lower leagues sorry you see a high turnover in player every year whereas we were like I mean I was there for three years initially yeah. and that was you know the squad was very consistent um, like, and maybe we couldn't spend loads of money so whoever was there just kind of stayed and we did have some real good players that went on to have like say James Hayes Carl Fletcher's went on to have really really good careers um, but yeah I loved it I absolutely loved it and just as soon as I made my debut playing in front, and it went well for me at the start so that's probably another reason that I ended up staying for so long because yeah, just yeah I hit the ground running scored a lot of goals and, and unfortunately like you said I'd done my uh, ACL so I was at, I was only 19 and I was on the brink of apparently clubs being interested and bigger clubs and they were watching and there's a bit of noise going on and, and then yeah, away at Orient one day I turned and, and, and done the ACL, so it really set me back for probably I wanna say about a year and a half really. Yeah, stupid question alert. Does that make you hate Orient for years on end? Um not per se. I remember <laughs> right. a guy at left back, you remember the guy, Matt Lockwood, the left yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closed him down for a left foot cross, he chopped back on his right and it just gave way. Um yeah, kind of. It maybe wants to do well against them, even though it's yeah. nothing to do with Leighton Orient as such. But um, 
Yeah, at Brisbane Road it was. Yeah, one of them things, unfortunately. And I often think, what if I hadn't? Because I was, I was just a young kid chucked in the first team, didn't know what was going on, just played free. And like I say, I scored a lot of goals, and it was, it was going really well. Um, but that happened, and like I say, it was, it was a real big setback. And while I wasn't sort of a quick player, I was, it probably did take half a yard off me. Um, looking back, um, so I had to. Obviously, again, like I said, when I was younger, you have to be that much quicker in your brain and your head and, and be that much more intelligent because you haven't got the physical necessarily capabilities to to rely on. I could never, you know, knock it past someone and, and think, all right, I've got him here for pace. It was That wasn't my game. I had to be sharp and quick on my feet and, and um, they're the sort of things that I had to I had to learn pretty quick, especially in the, the rigours of League One, League Two, as it was at the time. Yeah, um, in your second season, you play against Swindon twice as well, which is a which is because you don't play that much that year, but you still managed to get two games in. I remember against, we against lost two one at the County Ground yeah. uh, in the Matt Hewlett, Sam Parkin era, oh, Sammy Igo yeah. that era. I remember the game we wore light blue. Okay, it was a winter's day. We lost two one. I remember that. Yeah. I remember starting that. I don't remember the game at Bournemouth. But I remember the game at the County Ground. Yeah. One thing before we move on is that I, that I noticed there that you said Macclesfield and Doncaster and Doncaster back then were a bit of a not like League Two non League sort of yo yo yeah. side. But your first goal was against Macclesfield. Tell me when you wheeled away and you scored that. You thought, yeah, right decision. It was incredible. Yeah, because <laughs> we were so Sean O'Driscoll was under big pressure. Mm. Um, a massive pressure the chairman to put an ultimatum out that we've got to win a certain amount of games or get in the top six by the end of the month or something we started really bad that season um, and that was our first win um, so we, we took a short corner I think someone shot it hit the ref and landed in my path <laughs> and I headed it in um, and that was one nil away from home my granddad lived in um, Shropshire near Shrewsbury so he was at the game and that was nice to do it in front of him and um and yeah, that was the moment away at Macclesfield, Moss Rose, as it, mm-hmm. as it is. Um, and that was my first goal. And yeah, it's like I remember sat on the coach, like again, 19 years old, and just scored a winner in, in a big game, you know, with the managers under pressure. And I felt like, yeah, obviously felt like I arrived and I belonged. And, it, and like I say, I just the sort of had a nice sort of positive snowball effect until my injury where yeah. the goals kept flowing and, and so did the wins. Yeah, and, and next up, so you're there, like you say, for three seasons. Um, you'll tell me what happened there, but I imagine the ACL, as you said, it took a took a second off here, took a yard off here. Um, so that's going to have an impact. And you do play a fair bit in your in your final season, but you know mostly off the bench. Um, yeah. But next up was Torquay. Now Torquay back then, you know, I think they even paid for you, didn't they? But yeah, it. Torquay were always the club that I used to always say back then, like when they leave the football league, they they won't be back. And I think mm. I was wrong because I think they did come back briefly and went again and they've, they've dropped further down now back in the National League. But the, they were always a club, and this is a bit rich from like a Swindon perspective, but they always seem to be perennially struggling financially. Was Was that on your mind at all when you joined Torquay or were you just so happy just to still be in the football league? Ah, uh, difficult because Bournemouth offered me a new deal. Um, I just literally, again, I just bought a house for the, my first one, and I was just there about three months. And Bournemouth offered me a new deal, but I was, like you said, that season I played about forty odd games, but probably a third, only a third of them were starts. Mm. And I was like, I've been out for a year and a half. I'm back. I've had a whole season, and I felt quite fit and sharp and all the rest of it. But um, James Hater and Steve Fletcher stayed fit all season, so. 
I didn't play, like I said, I probably started about 12 games maybe. Yeah. I thought I'd done well off the bench in the starts I had, but I was like, I need to play. Like I'm a young, I want to play football and I want to be a re- like regular every, like I was before the injury. Um, and then so they bought for me. They matched what Torquay offered me. I remember that. Um, but I kind of, Leroy was senior, was Torquay manager saying, you'll be a number one striker and all that sort of thing. It was league two, so it was a drop down the league. And it was only a small fee. I can't remember what it was, but it was only peanuts. But in the, in the end, I was like, no, I want to play. And it was a big decision, really. And it's a tricky one because in hindsight, I regret it because it didn't work out there necessarily. And I, and I think, oh, I wish I'd maybe do I wish I'd have just stayed at Bournemouth my whole career. And, I, I, you know, because I, I, I loved it there. And obviously, I still love it here now. But um, but if I hadn't left Bournemouth then, I wouldn't have had the experiences that I went on to have elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I've looked. I don't regret my career. I had so many varied experiences. So many met so many great people along the way that it was just the path that I think I was meant to go on. So, um, but yeah, going back to Torquay, went there, started really well. A bit similar. I mean, we we didn't have a great team. We actually just avoided relegation. But I started the season particularly well. Scored a lot of goals at the start. I think I got about six in eight or six in nine, something like that. And I remember scoring my first one. Was it? Yeah, first one was. Um, against Shrewsbury and Joe Hart was in goal it was one of my best ever ones like left footed 25 yards off the inside of the bar and him and that was the sort of start of the, a good, bit like the similar to the Bournemouth run at the start of my career and I'm, I'm flying and then we played away somewhere and I fractured my metatarsal I remember it and I was like I'm done here mm-hmm. and I was out for eight weeks I remember and I was gutted because I was the top goal scorer at that time and you know really felt you know one of the main players um, Leroy, by the time I got back, um, Leroy was senior, had gone or going because we were struggling. New managers came in as one. Ian Atkins, who was a Northampton manager, he came in, never fancied me, which I was never used to have a player. And then John Cornforth, his name, um, yeah. he never fancied me either. So I went from being like playing every week, top goal scorer, to back from injury. And I was either sat on the bench or not at all I just I did, the season fizzled out and I hated it in the end and it was nothing against the club I just never really settled even at the start and well and I just I hated not playing football it come back to the whole reason I went there um, and I got I, 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 they didn't offer me a new contract which I remember being really happy about because I was. I remember thinking in the season I'm under 24 if they offer me a contract and a club has to pay money for me there's no chance of me getting out Um and it was nothing again, nothing against Torquay the club, but it just it just wasn't the right fit for me. I didn't enjoy it, um, apart from the games I had at the start. And um, again, that's that summer I was 23, and I was like, like, where do I go now? Sort of thing, like a bit of a crossroads again. But and like you say, I had to. I think one thing I did throughout my career, I backed my ability, and I backed myself in difficult moments. Um, and that was another difficult moment. But again, I had to find that resilience and that resolve to to move on and, and do well for myself and try and forge the career that I dreamed of as, as a kid, which was, yeah, of course, when I'm a kid, I want to play for Arsenal, I want to play for England and all that. But I also just want to play regularly at a good level and be a professional footballer. Yeah. So I had to find a way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a conversation I've had a million times with, with guests, especially those who have started at the top, gone pro at the top, maybe not made it, and they see League One, League Two almost as a failure based on what they were, what their potential was. But, yeah. 
you know, I'm always one to remind them that like, you're still in the 1% just by playing hundreds of times in League 2 or League 1, which is no, you know, no shame at all. It's Hereford United next for you, which is Graham Turner, the manager who always seemed to be perennially grumpy at Swin- when playing against Swindon. Um, what were your experiences with him? Yeah, talking of Swindon, I remember the, um, the Shrewsbury mm. game where we won 2-1 <laughs> when he went mad on the um, when we I think we got a rubber of a green of a decision, so I'll never forget that. But um, no, he was good for me. Again, like you talk about sort of going all over the place to pursue my dream of, you know, and I'll come on to the good experiences later on. So I went to Hereford. Obviously, it's a bit out of the way. Um, and But I went there, knuckled down and, and just, again, gave everything um, and was fortunate where I played a lot of games. Scored a few goals, done quite well. And played out of position, not out of position, but we played a lot like a 3 4 1 2, I suppose you call it. And I played quite deeper there to win the hole, mm. sort of number 10 role. Played there quite a bit all season. I think I played off the left a few times. So, first time in my career, I actually played in a different position rather than just being up front. Um, and I enjoyed that, to be fair. I did enjoy that. Um, and I enjoyed playing games. I had some good moments there. I remember we won at the county ground that season. Uh, 2-1 I think it was that was a big game we were sort of pushing playoffs at one point but then we, we fizzled out towards the end of the season had a bit of a bad run but I did enjoy it it was only I enjoyed it for the season but it was so far from anywhere I was like it wasn't where I wanted to end up with the greatest respect to them um, and I think that's just the ambition I always had that I always wanted to, to, to play as high as I could so I had a good year there they offered me a new deal but obviously I, I, I did want to go um, yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah, it was that blooming Andy Williams, wasn't it? In that, it was. He scored a couple, I think, if memory serves uh, me right. He's been known to do that a few times against yeah. Swindon over the years. Okay, and so then Brentford, which is your next move in two thousand and seven. Surely, you know that's a, that's a perfect move for you because it's closer to home. It was, and I absolutely loved it at Brentford. Like amazing, just such a good club, passionate fan base. Um, just what we league two at the time. Terry Butcher was the manager, Andy Scott assistant, and they came in for me. Uh, wanted someone, I think they wanted someone that knew the league because they'd just been relegated to League Two, and obviously I've had a few years in that league. Um, and it was perfect, like you say. I, I, I yeah, I came home, so to speak. Uh, so like I say, from Hereford to Brentford, it was a no brainer because Hereford, I was out the way to come back to London was great. Um, and to play for what I, you know, what is a big club, and obviously the club now has gone from strength to strength. We had a dodgy start as a as a team. I was in and out, um, but I was enjoying it, even though it was difficult. And the fans were, you know, desperate for success. And having been relegated, they were quickly on our backs, and we were struggling in League Two, which made it tough. Um, but then, uh, what happened? And then Terry Butcher unfortunately got the sack. I really enjoyed working with Terry Butcher, lovely man. Um, and Andy Scott took over temporarily, eventually became permanent. And for the moment, his first game, I uh, scored a couple at Wrexham and played well. And I, that was it. I was That second half of the season, from December to the end of the season, was arguably the best six, five, six months I had. I was I just loved it. We had a real nice feel about us. I think I was playing every game. I was I felt like one of the main men. I felt wanted. Um, and I just loved it. And we started winning games. And it was Griffin Park was brilliant when you're the home player and you're winning games. Um, and I, I at the time I'd not, I'd, I was in the middle of a two-year deal. Um, I had no thoughts of leaving. Very happy. 
uh, came back for pre-season and I was I had a really good pre-season playing games, scoring. I was like, yeah, here we go. And um, and he's got bought Charlie McDonald in, who's obviously a very good goal scorer in the lower leagues. Mm. And I could tell he was going to be the main man, which was fine. I didn't mind that. But then I think he didn't see me and him as a partnership, probably two quite similar players. Yeah. Um, and towards the end of the deadline, I was like, what's, what's going on? And I knew Bournemouth were interested and all of a sudden my head got turned in the way that I think I don't want to leave Brentford, but if I'm going to go anywhere, the only club I'd sort of potentially want to leave for is Bournemouth. I, if it was, wasn't Bournemouth, I would have I would have stayed and, and fought for my place, um, which I'd done originally in pre-season anyway. Um, but it got to the point I was like, I can't say no to Bournemouth because I did regret leaving three years earlier. Yeah. It just felt like I got a chance to almost go home, ironically, even though I was living in London. Yeah. Um, and, and so it proved, and I was disappointed because I I felt I'd done well for Andy Scott. Um, and obviously, yeah, I felt I'd done well, and he kind of was quite quick to say you can go, which was it's football, and I understand that. But I was disappointed, and, and yeah, that was the way I left Brentford, really. So it was a shame, and... Um, but that, that's football, isn't it? If, if they'd have made me really want it, I would have stayed, I think. But it was uh, in the end to go to Bournemouth was probably too good an opportunity to send down. We are racing through these, and I appreciate it because we're getting ever closer to Swindon. But on a Swindon link, there, I've got to mention friend of the pod because you played alongside him at Brentford, uh, Matt Hayward. Yes. Was, was he was he the best centre back at the club? Uh, was he the best centre back? <laughs> if he's listening, I better say yes. Uh, he was the slowest centre back at the club. Uh, that's for sure. We used to, I remember there was me, him, uh, what other names? Glenn Paul, G- Gary Smith, and Craig Peed. And we used to like, we always used to hammer each other who was the slowest, <laughs> uh, which is quite funny. So that's, uh, yeah, it was an everyday sort of occurrence, that sort of um, that sort of laugh and joke. But um, they're all good lads, and I really enjoyed my time there. But yeah, Matt, it was. Really good centre half. He had a t- difficult time actually at Brentford initially, um, and then he sort of came into his own uh, in the Andy Scott era as well, and uh, became a big favourite there. And yeah, no, a good lad, mate. I really enjoyed playing with him. Obviously, I know he had a good career at Swindon as well. Um, so yeah, no, we had, we had a good time together. There we go. Yeah, there you go, Matt. You're welcome. Okay, yeah. so back to Bournemouth. So Bournemouth are on their knees for a lot of this um, stage. You know, it's it's really looking. Really bad, isn't it, for for Bournemouth when you return? Um, which was no major difference, really. Something that you know, the rise of Bournemouth is something that a lot of lower league fam, um, fans are quite envious of. And um, we always remember like the money in the buckets and things like that. And yeah. then you soared, and you know we all sit there and um, bemoan fairy tales and things like that. That's for a, a different discussion. But you went back and. That was the year of the Great Escape, wasn't it? It was. It was. Um, it was. Yeah, two, it was deadline day or just before two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So I went there and it was like minus seventeen, and obviously up against it. Uh, and but I just, I, I just thought with the players we had, we, we'd, we'd stay up. Um, I have first training session back at Bournemouth, and it's weird. All my injuries I've had. I mean, just that I, apart from my foot at Torquay, I had six knee operations and all six of them were at Bournemouth. So I had four on my right knee when I was 19, when I'd done the ACL and the, the, the cartilage issues on the, off the back of that. Then when I come back, I had two ups on my left knee on my cartilage there and that was at Bournemouth. So 
Bournemouth sort of seen me as I think, a bit of an injury prone, whereas everywhere else I've been, I've touched wood, stayed, you know, stayed very fit and played a lot of games. Um, so anyway, start of that season, first training session, bang, do my knee in, gutted, and I was out for six weeks. Did I have an op? Yeah, I did have an op. Out for six weeks, thinking, right, we're back in six weeks. But I come back and I wasn't right. It was still swollen, it was sore. But we were in, we were minus 17, as I just said, and we had no players or very few players. Couldn't bring anyone in, uh, if memory serves me right. So I remember a game. Uh, so I was off for six to eight weeks, whatever. First game back, adrenaline got me through. We beat Berry at home. Um, we played well. I actually played quite well that day, which is a rarity in that season. And then on Boxing Day, we lost 2-0 away to, away to Brentford, my old club. I was... I was, we were poor. I, I, I was poor. Then we played at home to Barnet, and we were Jimmy Quinn was the manager at this time, and you know it wasn't going particularly well. I remember in the warm up, I can clearly remember doing the warm up now, and my knee was massive, like it was swollen. And then we did the heel flicks, the old warm up. Yeah. I couldn't even get my heel like above like 90 degrees, and I, and I was I was starting the game. I'm like, oh my god, like I'm just I was all dosed up tablets, the diclofenac, the anti inflams and I'm thinking adrenaline hopefully will get me through. And I played the game. I think I even played. I think I played 90 minutes. We lost two new homes to Barnet, and we were in all sorts of trouble. Um, and then I think that was Jimmy Quinn's last game. And Eddie Hell then, who had bought, he, he was part of the reason I came back in the first place because him and Kevin Bond uh, and Rob Newman were in charge. But after I got injured in that first session, we lost on the Saturday, and they lost their jobs the next day. So I'd signed for a manager who had gone within two days. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Quinn came in, that didn't work out. And then by Christmas, obviously, Eddie Howe came back. I think it was New Year's Eve. Um, and, yeah, and I was, like I say, for the rest of that season, I was I was available to a point, but I couldn't give my best. I was just, I couldn't, I just couldn't give, I was knew I wasn't playing well when I did play. I was in pain when I was. I couldn't move properly because my knee was swollen, like, constantly. I had, I had uh, injections to drain it. I had, uh, it's like steroid injections to get rid of it and that was excruciating pain I remember that but um, yeah and it was one of them just get through to the end of the season and we'll get it sorted in the summer because we like I say we couldn't sign anyone and then I was a bit bit part player all, all season really um, and we stayed up towards the end of the season luckily and it was a great relief for the club because the club's very existence was um, in massive under, under massive pressure and, in, 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 and under threat as well so real tricky time and personally in that, that season I lost my mum that season as well which was obviously one of the worst experiences I've ever had and very difficult um, in amongst the, sort of the, the knee injury like I said and yeah, it was a real difficult time and that was a time in my life which was what was that, 11 and a half years ago now where I, I didn't know what day of the week it was it was just yeah I was struggling and um, I know mental health is a big thing nowadays for a lot of people and at the time, I knew I was in a bad place, but football was my only release, um, and I couldn't even give my best there. So I didn't have. It was a release when I could train and play, but I wasn't doing well, so it was a, I was down and all the rest of it. And obviously, then all everything my mum was difficult, and yeah, real difficult time, real difficult time. The only bit of good news in that time was that we stayed up and um, I had to find a lot of mental strength. Probably, like I said to try and just keep going because I'm saying, I think my mum was extremely difficult to, to deal with. Um, and like I said about being earlier in my career, that single mindedness and that like sort of willingness to push through things probably 
that mental strength helped me get through, even though it was extremely difficult. And then um, end of the season, my knee was like, I need another operation to put right what, what wasn't right in the first place. So I had another up in the summer, and it was like a long sort of summer of rehabbing to get right for pre-season. Um, and that was then I had a point to prove that second season where we, that's the season we got promoted from League Two and I had a lot better season, played a lot of games, played left midfield for about half a season, Blumenau, <laughs> because we couldn't sign anyone. So uh, that was interesting. But I did, did all right actually out there. Um, and yeah, it culminated in, in scoring the goal or one of the goals at Burton that, that helped get us up. So a lot better second season from a personal point of view than the first season for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you when you're suffering, both professionally and personally, is there any part of your mind because you're very driven? You know, you have a goal, but at this stage, you know, you've 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 played hundred plus professional games. Is there any part of you that just needs? I need to be back in London doing something else, and and maybe you know move for, you know down the pyramids, or was it? You were still very much, you know, this is what I need to to keep me going. Yeah, it was, it, it, no, it was never a case of I can't do this anymore. It was I need to f- work out a way. I need to find it from within to make sure that I get back to my best or improve or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. And I think the thing and I've used it ever since, everything that happened with my mum and losing her at a relatively young age, what was I, 26 at the time, I think I was, it was just, the biggest, I use it as the biggest. You know, obviously she 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 was unwell and, and and obviously went through you know and suffered. And I just thought, you know, what if she can battle, then I can battle. And I used it as the biggest sort of uh, motivation to 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 just graft like I did anyway, but just graft even more and give everything. And so now, you know, giving up was never never anything that I I, I thought about. And um, I think the fact that I was at Bournemouth, for a club that I loved and wanted to do well at was and my mum loved Bournemouth as well you know they my mum and dad were you know they, they wanted to move to Bournemouth unfortunately that never happened but they wanted to move down and um so it was like she was all even when she was very unwell was still asking now you know where are we in the league because obviously we were fighting relegation and um so it was a real no it was it was I understand the question but no it was never a, a case of um thinking about you know going home or giving up it was a case of you know using football as that release and then just trying to get back to enjoying my football and being 100% fit and obviously trying to make her proud. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so unfortunately, you know, although Bournemouth go up, you you, you leave and you, you actually do drop down to the National League with mm. Grimsby Town where you absolutely rip it a new one, um, goals-wise. Was What's it like, I suppose is the question, what's it like making that decision to drop, is there a psychological sort of obstacle dropping into the fifth tier out of the Football League? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so bit of the background behind that would be, I felt I'd done well that season. I didn't score, I don't know, I felt about nine goals, I think. And obviously scored towards the end of the season, I scored three at the end of the season in the last two games and, like I say, quite important goals. The manager, which was Eddie Howe at the time, was suggesting there'd be a new contract potentially at the end of the season um, but then when it comes to the, I think we got promoted and it was like the next day or whatever it was sorry there's no deal and that was real hard to take off the back of everything I've just explained as well um, with my mum and, and everything else so the last thing I wanted to do was leave Bournemouth 
Um, but I had to, I had no choice. And that was football. And Ed, Ed, was, Ed found it, I think, difficult to tell me because he had been very supportive of me, but he made a football decision and we could finally bring some new players in because the embargo had been lifted, but he needed to you know, get players off the wage bill to get new ones in. So um, there was no deal for me, which is, like I say, difficult to take, but that's football and I understood that. And obviously I've still got a good relationship with him today, which is part of the reason why I'm, I'm still working at the club now. But um, yeah, it was tough. And I go to Grimsby, like I say, yeah, for sure. It was just like in the back of my mind when Grimsby came in. Again, it was that one of you. We want you to be our number one striker. Um, Neil Woods, the manager, lovely guy. Um, number one striker. They give me a good contract. That was another reason for going. I'm not going to lie. Um, and it was better than everything I was getting offered in League Two. And I thought, you know what? They want me. They want to pay me well. Like, let's, let's, let's go sort of thing. So I remember the drive there. I was driving them with like Grimsby, obviously, I didn't know where it was particularly. I'm driving now. I remember actually them tears running down my face. Like I was obviously still suffering from other stuff like I just spoke about. And like, what am I doing? Like, where am I going? Or just what am I doing in my life? And um, and it was nothing against Grimsby, far from it. But that's kind of where I was at um, with regards to where my head was. But once I got there, I just I felt wanted, which is, as any footballer will tell you, that's a big thing. And I just gave literally everything I had in every way I trained hard I went home I recovered I went in next day I trained hard and we, we played I remember that season the only season we had 50 games I started all 50 and like for me again physically I always found recovering from games quite tough and like I said I'm not the most natural athlete in the world um, I could just give everything and it, it was the biggest It was I was at the biggest crossroads in my life I was 27 had stuff going on off the pitch um, like a lot of stuff and then I had obviously my football I was at the point I was 27 I'd threatened to do quite well in my career and had good spells mm-hmm. never really put it together just been released by a club that I, a club that I loved and wanted to stay at um, and I went went dropped down like you say with a, to, the, to the conference which I never envisaged thought it was the end of the world but I thought no this is what I need to do and it could have gone horribly wrong mm-hmm. and I could have just drifted into non-league and oblivion very very quickly uh, but luckily it went well um, and that's when I again I sort of, the first time I left Bournemouth I had you know regrets oh maybe I shouldn't have left and again and maybe I wish Bournemouth would offer me a contract in 2010 as it was but um, the experience I had after that Grimsby, Swindon, Bradford I wouldn't change them for the world <laughs> so I'm really fortunate in some ways that I had that varied experience Absolutely yeah I completely agree 27 is not a good age to drop into non-league football no. you know I would say without looking at the stats I imagine the overwhelming majority of players don't come back from from yeah. that age because you, know, you know football teams prefer younger younger players um, yeah. even though 27 is no age whatsoever no, so course. Swindon, nothing to add to the tally at home. It's threatening again, it's another one! It's Connell who strikes once more! It's turning into a wonderful afternoon for him, it's turning into a wonderful afternoon for Swindon and Paolo Di Canio, they lead at last. Well, managers take their credit for substitutions if they work, and this one has certainly worked. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Come on, Swindon! <laughs> the background, really, from my side of things as we move to Swindon now is Swindon that summer 
2011. They go all in on a player called Adam Birchall, who was yeah. playing for Dover, um, I believe. And we had a bid accepted. So did Wimbledon. So did Ginningham. The guys from Maidstone. So obviously, logically, you join, you know, um, Ginningham. Sadly for him, he gets injured really early and his career never really recovers. And my memory of this as a fan is it was almost instant that they moved away from Birchill straight to you. What are your memories of joining Swindon? Uh, what are my memories? So off the back of, like I say, what turned out to be a personally a successful season at Grimsby, clubs, there was a lot of clubs in for me. I think Stevenage, uh, who else? Luton were really keen. Um, and But I, honestly, it's going to sound very cliche-ish, but I was like, the, the realistic club is, was Swindon. It was like, Great location, big club. Um, it just it ticks every box, and that's the one I was hoping for. And I was always saying to my agent, "What about Swindon? What about Swindon?" It was like, "Oh, they're in Fred and Birch or whatever." Okay, and then it was for me. It was I just wanted them to come in for me. I even right. So my dad, my had all my twenty nine goals at Grimsby on a DVD that they, that that uh, my, I can't remember who done it for me, but my dad, I remember he, he drove to Decanio's agent. I don't know how this happened. And gave him a DVD of all my goals of Paolo Di Canio's agent. And I think he was already interested by that stage anyway. But So I can remember that as well. And yeah, luckily in the end, I went back pre-season at Grimsby. I was in the middle of a two-year deal. And with respect, I loved it at Grimsby. But I, I knew my time to... I'd, I'd grafted, like you said, at 27 to get you know, to have a good season. And um, I had to get back in the league now or it was never going to happen. Um, and like I said, maybe that, the mindset I spoke about earlier, just never giving in, probably helped me to have that season. But um, the Swindon one, yeah, they come in and as uh, they thanked us as soon as they come in, it was like right, let's get it done. I wasn't, uh, I knew what the money eventually was going to be when my agent eventually got there and said this is what it'll be. But I was just like, I knew rough, I had a rough idea what it'd be. I wasn't even bothered. I was like, right, let's go. So I just so to full full set, not force my way out of Grimsby. That's a bit strong because. I had too much respect for him to do that. I had to hand in a transfer request, which for my agent said on the Friday morning, I literally was at home and I wrote up on a bit of paper, like a blooming eight year old. Uh, like, <laughs> honestly, I can remember it now. Um, like, please, I want to go or whatever it was. I had to drop it into the club and then wait at home. I think I'm going to say home at home in Grimsby. Um, and just as soon as it got accepted, I was in the car on the Friday. I think it was and like over the moon when it got done and, yeah, obviously be excited to be joining such a big club and the Palo de Canio effect and all that. And that weekend, I went to a hotel that night. It was a lovely hotel, Swindon Pullman, actually. It was only for one night. They put me in the, the Jury's in after that. But um, <laughs> it was one night. I can't remember where it was, but it was lovely. And then my dad went to my house along with a guy that I know and basically packed up my house. It wasn't a lot because I was just, you know, it, was just, it, it, it wasn't like I sort of moved my life up there as such. So it was um, that was all moved that weekend. Um, and that was it. I was I was gone, and I was in Swindon. I think I signed on the Saturday morning. I think I think I trained. I can't remember. Um, and yeah, just oh, so so happy, and felt like the sacrifice of a year earlier, and driving up north with tears rolling down my face, and not knowing where I was going in my life. Like I was like, yeah, I've I've grafted the last year, especially to 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 put myself in this situation, and I'm signing for a great club. I'm I'm going to make the most of it. 
Yeah, and and you miss the Italian tour, don't you? You join just after that, so you know. Yeah, which sounds like a good thing. It I does, think, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think pretty much everyone um, talks about that. I'll tell you what I do that. remember, right? I do remember. I signed on. I, I trained on the Saturday or the Monday, wherever it was, and my next, my next day off or our next day off was, I think it was forty-three days later. <laughs> and it was, I tell you when it was. It was the September. It was in September. So I signed in the middle of July. It was like mid-September. And it was a day after that. We'll probably come on to it. My first goals for the club against Rotherham. Mm. When I scored a, I scored two headers. It was that Sunday. About six of us went to London for, for the day. I remember that. And it was, yeah, mental. I mean, I was fit. Like We all were so fit. Um, but it was so tough, as you, you've heard all the stories. It was, it was, it was tough. It was tough. We'll get to De Canio in just a moment because everyone's got their own unique take and experiences of him. But it's not for somebody who played every single game the season before, regardless of what level. It's not a seamless transition for you because De Canio prefers uh, De Vita and even Billy Bowden early on um, to yourself. Was that simply because you came to the club a little bit later in the preseason, or did you just have to earn your stripes a little bit more? I mean, trying to work out the manager's mind was impossible. Yeah. Um, I felt I had a decent pre-season when I joined. Um, and then first game of the season, we had crew at home, didn't we? And I didn't start and I couldn't make it out. The club had spent good money on me, as you know. Spent like, and then I just, I, I thought, I thought I should be playing. And then first game I was on the bench. I was so disappointed. And I was like, why has he brought me here if he's not, it's only one of them sort of weird ones. But, I just knuckled down and just was tried to be ready as and when called upon. That that was the story of the season at Swindon. Be ready because you could be dropped, bought on, bought off, whatever it was at any time. You just had to be ready. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, but yeah. So at the start, I was like I said, I didn't start the first few games if memory serves me right. And I was, and um, yeah, that said, that Rotherham game was probably a turning point. Yeah. Um, off the back of again, I'll. I remember before the Robin game was the the Leon Clark game on the Tuesday night against Southampton, <laughs> and I think that was my first start. And I got dragged in the first half, so we played Southampton with them in Lambert, Lalana, and Rodriguez, and they were very good. We we're two 0 down in half hour, and uh, my number went up, and I was getting dragged after half hour, and I was like, "What is going on?" And I never reacted, uh, never said a word, trained hard the next day. Um, and it was on the Saturday when I come on against Rotherham, to be fair to the manager, after the game, he said, you're, like, you're a real professional. He said, and he, he sort of thanked me in front of all the players and said, I bought you off Tuesday. You never moaned, you never complained, you trained hard. And then four days later, you come on and score two. And I was like, I was like it obviously made me feel good. But at the same time, I didn't think I should have been dragged in the first place against Southampton, but... That's life. <laughs> I, I I do wonder. I wonder a few things. I wonder whether you, you know, in hindsight, benefited from not being a major part of that lousy start, which certainly allows you. And I, I do also wonder, given the fact that you were hauled off after half hour against Southampton, is that the Leon Clark incident at the end sort of, you know, outside of the club, what you you know, what crimes you committed that game, if any, um, were completely overshadowed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the, that was Leon Clark's last appearance. And Leon was, I really like, everyone liked Leon. Yeah. He, he was a real lovely guy. He's had a great career. He just, he was probably where I would, me and most of the players would get on with it and not say nothing. You know, 
Leon obviously was quite vocal in certain situations, not in a not in a unprofessional way, but he just said spoke said it how he felt it was. Um, and obviously the the Samson incident was obviously some of it's on on camera and some of it isn't. <laughs> um, and that was the last we saw of him in a in a Swindon shirt. Um, yeah, mental. He, he after, was dropping like, down as well, wasn't he? That was the. I think I always seen that. He was, as the but then he went back up again. Exactly. Didn't he? Credit to him. Yeah, um, I, I think that was the difference, really. If you're a player that's, you know, you just left yeah. QPR and he was like, you know what, I'll go down, tear it up in League Two, and then build from there. And then, you know, it's not a mentality thing. But if he thinks, you know what, I'm not going to be able to deal with this for X amount of months or years. Yeah, I'm getting out. You know, I, I sort of, you know, it's a bit of a cop out, but I sort of understand it as well. And it takes two to tango. They could have easily shaken hands and moved on from it, you know, and and compromise. But oh, it was an absolute but, mess. Oh, it was a it was, it was a soap opera, <laughs> wasn't it? But it honestly, every day was a soap opera. It was like you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew if you'd breathe the wrong way or whatever it was. But it was, I loved it. It was mental. It was carnage every day. Like I say. But it brought the boys together, and like the manager's coaching and how dedicated his staff was, it was incredible. Yeah. Like, it really was. Um, the attention to detail, the desire and to win, and the, like it just, yeah, you had to be on it every single day. Like it's a shame because there's so many good things that that, that Palo de Canio did as a manager. So many good things that probably often get overlooked because of obviously some of the more interesting stories shall we say but he was a great coach he ha- and when he turned the charm on you, you'd run you, as as proved through the season you'd run for a brick wall for him um i just wish personally he would have backed me a little bit more yeah because i think i was a, a, like a, a, a he, he said to me like you're, you're a true professional and all that like i said i never cause any issues i just wish he would have backed me because I, even when i was doing really well and scoring and playing like I would be dropped the next game or take if I breathe the wrong way, like I say, I'd be taken off, not just me, other players. And I think if he'd have, the amount of times I got dragged on like 50, 55 minutes, I'm thinking, if you'd left me on, all my Grimsby goals were in the second half of games. I would have scored 30, I scored, I think, 13, 14 that season. I would have scored 30 goals that season. I've got no doubts that I would have done what I'd done at Grimsby the year before. But the players we had, flipping out, Matt Ritchie, Cy Ferry, Rafa, all these players, Cads, how with his crossing all the creative players we had I would have scored 30 goals no doubts in my mind about that but I, pl- I didn't play as much and wasn't kept on the pit if I wasn't playing well I was taken off yeah. whereas you know the, the, the Matt Ritchie for example and I'm rightly so because of how good he, he was and is you know he'd never get taken off um, I just wish the manager would have had a bit more faith in me um, looking back don't get me wrong I loved it and I've got no regrets but that would be the only thing the only difference of opinion I probably had with the manager but again it was I had total respect for him even though there was times where it was frustrating do, do you think he took advantage of your good nature in that respect uh, no no because if people questioned him like done. players I mean or confronted him it wasn't oh, okay you confronted me I'll give in to you it was, okay, you confronted me see you later you're done. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it happened with other players as well as the Leon <laughs> Clark incident, as you know. So yeah. that's why it was such a high turnover in players. Um, but it was the constant loans coming in, I think, was 
No. I mean, center, well, forward-minding players alone, you know, over that season. Benson, Bowden, Clark, yourself, Devita, Jervis, Karouche, Magira, Magira, Montano, Murray, Story, and Tahui. That's wow. that's too many, really, isn't it? I mean, we go up. It's a great season. I'm not ragging on that because as a fan, there was something... We, we as fans, and I, I say we, you know, it's not everyone, but we get so taken in by success... And we don't really sort of take stock in, you know, why are so many players coming in? How much money are we are we spending? Why are the Bodins leaving the club? You know, and yeah. and yeah. and we don't think about what the players are going through because all we care about as football fans, and rightly so, winning. is winning. Of course. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, with that, yeah, it's too many players. We use way too many players. I mean, the club sanctioned it, didn't they? So, yeah, I mean, but it was literally, I remember... If we if someone missed a chance and I was sat on the bench, like the manager would turn around to the director's box and be pointing as if say that's why I need new players, and it was just it was mental really like the whole the way it was was done, um, and it was too much player. But if you look at it, if if I said to you or any Swindon fan, give me, you know, we used I don't know 30, 40 players, but if you asked a Swindon fan to name name me the eight to ten main players of that season, you probably reel off your your Riches, your Caddis, your Ferries, your Devera, Flint, I'd like to think myself, Fodderingham. So you've got that core group, yeah. Cal Kennedy, Rafa Devera, your core ones that played over 30 games. You know, there was a few that played twos and threes and five games, but your core group are the ones probably that I just said. I don't think I've missed anyone. Jonathan Smith, maybe. Um, so that's the way it panned out. And I just think if... Yeah, it took a while to get to them players, probably that being the ones that played most games. But I think, the, yeah, the managers—he was finding his feet as a manager and in that league, wasn't he? English football. So, yeah, there was things in there that you know I'm, I'd like it to have been a bit different. But the overall experience and playing for the manager was an incredible experience, um, and, and it, I, I loved it. And I got huge respect for him um, and all his staff because they were dedicated. And I've not seen him since the day I left. Um, but hopefully one day our paths will cross and um, like I say a real charming man that I was desperate to do well for when he turned the charm on and was like made you want to play for him I remember Gilling him away the day we got promoted and we got beat <laughs> he come in like all beard and you never see him like that he was, and he was he was he, used, he was like a, I think he said I'm like a gladiator today you know and, and he just he had a way about him he just if he said the right things which he he just wanted to play for him but he, he kind of he'd It'd be some Friday training sessions. He'd like, we'd do the warm up and he'd call us over and go, we, we'll lose tomorrow. We'll lose tomorrow. You're not on it. Like, and that sort of thing. And you're thinking, <laughs> God, flimmin' hell. Like, um, but that was just his way. He said it how he saw it, um, which is as he's always done. Um, but yeah, a real, I got a lot of time and respect for him. Um, even though at times I, I think he could have been a little bit more respectful to me and maybe some of the others in, in a football sense. Yeah. Um, like I said, I did, he dragged me, jitting him away. I got dragged in the first half again for, for me for no reason. I thought I actually started quite well. Um, so yeah, difficult moments within within the season, but loads of highs and loads of memories that will last a lifetime. Yeah, what what happened at Wembley? What what did we get wrong? Ah, uh, what did we get wrong? I mean, how many players did we sign that week? <laughs> we had two I, debuts, I wasn't it? Two debuts: yeah. McEvely and Bostock. Both played their debuts at Wembley, Again, which is remarkable. Both, both good players, brilliant. But both really good players, but like for me, Cal Kennedy should have played. Like 
he played what he was playing well. I just there's a lot of change and yeah, Aidan Flint wasn't in the squad, for example. Like things like that, just yeah. Rafa that, should have played that game as well. He didn't get on. Rafa, Rafa didn't get on. Yeah. Like just things like that. It just was it was almost like too many changes. We had a real good core group there, and we. Do you know what? I've, obviously, I've watched the game back a few times over. Yeah, um, we we, we do, I thought we dominated the first half with the ball. Um, I had a decent chance that obviously I sometimes reflect on. Um, I remember Paul Benson headed it and. Uh, Sounds like an excuse, and it is to a point. But the sun was on the 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 roof of the stadium, and the, as I went to volley it, I just saw a glare in my eyes, and it I just I miskicked it. Um, as silly as that sounds, but we had chances, didn't take them, conceded early in the second half, and we just got a bit desperate. I think um, I don't know. I don't know if we'd have scored the first goal, we'd have won convincingly. I've got no <laughs> doubt about that. It's just one of them. I've never been in about it over the years at Wembley. It just wasn't to be. Luckily, that season it wasn't the be all and end all. The league title was. Yeah. Um, but I would love to have won that day for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're we're you know reeling through this. Um, but one of the things that I love about that season is that you were the one that that sort of put the cherry on the cake against Port Vale, weren't you? So yeah, um, you came on in the second half and I think most people would have wanted you know there's a couple of young players on the bench in Story and Thompson but I think the fans that day wanted you to come on because you were going for top scorer um, you had played you had been there the whole season players that revolving door especially if attackers came and went but Alan Connell was was a mainstay despite yeah. all the minutes you missed you still scored goals and then you were the one that scored the fifth on that that day which you know people always remind me you know for the first half hour or so you know it was it was getting a little tense and then and then the floodgates opened and it was one of my favorite days supporting Swindon as an adult that's for sure it was amazing that that game I'm sure you've seen it if you go on YouTube there's some real good clips on that day of like the fans from the fans and all that and it was I often go I've often I've, I've done it a few times looked at the sort of the Wigan FA Cup moment and and the Port Vale game and there's some real nice stuff for, with the fans from that are filmed on the day. Um, and Port Vale was great and uh, I had a real good feeling because when we got promoted with Bournemouth, I, I scored a couple against Port Vale, still promotion, um, and then we were at home to Port Vale with Swindon. And I remember Santa Claudio, the fitness coach, before the game, I was like, well, come on, I'm definitely scoring. Like I just knew it. And luckily, I, I got in the way and sort of, sort of diverted one past the goalkeeper to round off the scoring. Yeah, great day, great celebrations after. Again, memories that will last forever. Um, and yeah, I feel very fortunate to have experienced it at a club like Swindon. Like I said, I've won promotion at Bournemouth, Bradford and Swindon. Now for me, you don't get much in lower league football, you don't get much bigger clubs than them. Mm. Um, so it was, yeah, I feel very fortunate and honoured to be, to sort of, you know, be remembered hopefully in a positive light um, by such a such a great club. Um, and yeah, it was... Uh, it was it, it was a great day, and like I said, it was there was there was many great days that season. Like I said, it was some low days, um, but there was many great days, and and um, yeah, scored. It was weird. The season before at Grimsby, a lot of my goals were. I had so much freedom and belief in, from the manager. I scored some from really really good goals, like long range, chipping the goalie, you name it. You know, everything I hit went in. And I went to Swindon, and it was almost like when the balls when the balls getting crossed you be across the front post and if you look at my goals in particular two against Shrewsbury and two against Rotherham you know they're proper like strikers goals middle of the six yard box type goals Barnet in the JPT final 
um, semi-final or area final, whatever it's called. Wigan won. I scored a lot of real strikers' goals because yeah. that's what the manager wanted and I probably didn't have the freedom to try and chip the goalie from 20 yards, which was my game, to try and bend one in the top corner. It was more, you know, if you try anything, you'll be hooked sort of thing or you'll be dropped and that was the pressure we played under. But you look at it the other way, I went from, so I went from all my goals at Grimsby that were, a lot of them were worldies to then going to swim. <laughs> I don't think I scored one further than eight yards out. It was bizarre, really. Um, but and I, had to, I was running channels. I was fighting for balls, and which you got, you've got to do. Um, but it, that's just what the manager demanded. You had to do it. Versatility, um, versatility. Yeah, being, you know, yeah, you know, you say you had to adhere to what the manager wanted. And Absolutely. I love playing with Paul Benson. Like, what a great strike partner at Swindon. Loved playing with him. Yeah, um, we got him really well and on and off the pitch and. Obviously, we had some other great players as well, as we've spoken about. But yeah, it was great playing with that with Benno. He's a real good foil for me. So we, we, we go back to me in, in fan mode. So when you get promoted, um, especially as champions, you want those players to get the opportunity to prove themselves in the next level. And again, because you're doing well, you're not really thinking about the bigger picture stuff. And suddenly players that have played majority of the season, you, John Smith, yeah. You let go for nothing. And back then, myself included, we don't think anything of it really beyond, other than the fact, well, that's a bit harsh, but we're not yeah. thinking what is going on here. So were you, were you essentially told this ain't happening for you here and away you go or were you forced out yeah. or what, what happened? All, all of that. Yeah. Um, so, the, so the background that would be, I had whispers in the last season through the chairman, the agents, whatever, like not my agent, but just generally hear whispers that they want to spend big and go again. Yeah. Um, and obviously that turned out to be the case with the players that, that, that Swindon bought in. Um, but I thought because of what, what I was deemed that I, I was seen as a, a real good, I'd like to think a good character, a good pro. Obviously I'd like to think I was a good player. I thought I'd, you know, I'd be wanted. Um, but the day after the manager signed his new deal, I remember where I was. I remember getting a phone call. He was in Italy, and he said, "Oh, I'd rather be speaking to you face to face." But uh, I've signed my deal. We've got money to spend. I can't remember the exact words, but it was pretty blunt. You're not, you're not needed. You can go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm disappointed. I said, I'm really disappointed to hear that. Um, uh, you know, I've lo- I love playing for Swindon, blah, blah, blah. I want to fight for my place, and that, which I've, I'd done from the moment I signed, as we've obviously discussed. And he was quite clear that there's no point in fighting for your place. Like, you know, you can go. Um, so obviously I still had a year left on my contract. I was very happy at Swindon, extremely happy at Swindon. Um, and I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, as in, you know, I've moved around all this time. I thought I'd found somewhere I could settle for a few years, and, and I love playing. Uh, but it wasn't to be. So I come back for pre-season. The boys go to Italy. Me and Jonathan Smith don't. And two players that have played a lot the year before and obviously a successful season. And we were, I began to, I can't remember what the gym was now near the stadium, just a normal gym uh, with like a, not obviously the main fitness coach in Italy. It was like an intern fitness coach. Um, So he'd give us a programme and all that. And you're thinking, what's going on? Boys come back from Italy and like me and Jonathan Smith are like with the, the young lad, the fitness coach. I'm looking across at 22 players having an MB11, like all my teammates. I'm like, and I remember saying to John Smith, like, we done well last year. And I like was thinking to myself, we won the league. I finished top goal scorer. <laughs> and I'm now can't even train with the boys. Like, I'm not wanted that much. And it was, you know, I was 
devastated, really. Um, and that I was that was that was a few weeks worth. And Swindon wanted money for me, which I understand. But I was like, but you don't want me. So if you don't want me, why? How are you going to price me out of a move? Um, so there was obviously stuff financially behind the scenes, and um, yeah, it was tricky. It was difficult. I didn't think I deserved that, um, and I would have loved to have stayed. And I thought I would have done well with that year in League One with the players we had. Um, but like I say, the manager was, you know, once he made his mind up, that was that was him. Um, so eventually, I had Stevenage came back in for me from a couple of years earlier. I think I might even have met them. I can't remember. Um, who else was Scumthorpe? Uh, was anyone else? There might have been Luton again. I can't remember. And and then Bradford came up, and I was like, "Wow, Bradford!" Like I know, obviously, it's a big club. And it, but then I'm thinking, "Oh my God, I can't move up north again." And again, nothing to do up north. It was the whole. I've I've done up. I've gone up north. I've proved myself at Grimsby to get a real good move to Swindon. The thought of going back up there, I just don't mentally think I can do it. As much as it's you know big club in League Two and all the rest of it, I just don't know if I can do it. Um, but then Phil Parkinson rang me and I was excited and I spoke to my dad and in the end I was like well it's such a big club it's such a great opportunity I can't I've got to do it I'll regret it if I don't and that was kind of the end of my Swindon journey really and yeah gutted really was gutted to leave Swindon loved it loved had a real good connection with the supporters I think my teammates and I think obviously the, the club went on to have a good season in League One and obviously nearly got promoted but I just think I could have contributed and kicked on from there, but I didn't have the 100% faith of the manager of the club, so I was deemed surplus to requirements. So go to Bradford and, and fortunately have an unbelievable experience. <laughs> yeah, well. Which again, I, I, I was really fortunate to have all these experiences at different clubs. Hello, I'm Paul Carris, and you're listening to the Loathed Strangers podcast. Yeah, and, and I really could talk about that season alone with Bradford for an hour, but time is as firmly against us. It's, it's an incredible yeah. season that um, you get promoted, um, you get your Wembley win um, in the playoffs where you do get minutes. But of course, yeah. it's remembered for that insane cup run, um, which um, you get to the final, you lose to Swansea. That's irrelevant because you get there um, and you get to play against Arsenal. You know, yeah. and the team, you know, and this is where, you know, without wanting to get soppy and, you know, romanticise football too much. But this is where you look back, you know, what are you at that stage? About 29. Yeah. And you can you can think of all the graft, you know, the Southport aways, those sort of games <laughs> where then you can take on Arsenal, the team that you once applied for their club shop mm. to work in. And then you play in a, in a League Two side that beats them in the league cup and i mean that's that's a chapter end right there that's that's the that's the cut to credits on the alan yeah, Cole story isn't shot. it that's a good <laughs> shot again like swindon but like bradford it was just incredible like because they had 10 years of not very good football from what i'm told the year that um i went there the year that i went there obviously we had a good season they were crying out for success and because of the season we had i remember the following season in league 1 Going, I was. Uh, uh, we were warming up, or I think I was a sub, and we had to jog towards the big stand behind the goal of the cop. I remember going that way, and like you get the three of us, like having a little jog, get like a stand innovation, and it was like you just—they treated you literally like a god. It was an incredible experience playing for a, a, an unbelievable club, and the supporters are great, and all the rest of it. And yeah, going, that was off the back of the successful season we just spoke about. And yeah, the Arsenal one was in, was a great moment. Um, scored a, a pen in the shootout, and. 
uh, yeah, just a moment that I can look back on forever. Um, like you say, obviously Arsenal fan and all the rest of it. Yeah, just I mean, what can you say? Just words yeah. can't can't put into it. I just can't do it justice. The experience that that I had and to win as well. Um, and then yeah, got, played all the rounds up until the semi final, and then didn't play in the semi or the final, which was frustrating. Um, but that's again, that's football. Um, and obviously, I'd, we had some very good players there and a great dressing room. Like we had at Swindon, a great dressing room. And I loved it at Bradford. And, and yeah, I feel, like I said about Swindon, really honoured and fortunate that I had success at them clubs because you, you, I think when you have success at them clubs, you never get forgotten. Um, there's a lounge there at the club now and stuff. And um, yeah, just an amazing experience to play for Bradford in a successful team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I would say there's a large percentage of the fan base that's still very fond of your one season with with Swindon and you know that just goes show I mean all football fans want is somebody who puts the effort in and, and gets the rewards you know and and I think that always goes a long way and of course success as well I mean your your career sort of winds down I mean you've still got a few years left in you and you, you go from Bradford to Northampton to Grimsby and then you fall into non-league which is I imagine more about you know focusing on your your badges and and getting used to the coaching part of your career was that was that really you were never going to play until 37 38 because of the injuries you had previously or, or was there other reasons I, I think mine was always 35 so if I go back to the summer of 2013, we just got promoted to League One with Bradford. I had a very good pre-season. I remember it. I was 30 years old and I was flying. I was like, I feel fitter than ever. Felt great. Um, I, 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 first half of the season, League One, I was I didn't play loads. Um, Naki Wells and James Hansen were on fire, so I was the, I was the odd one out. Um, and eventually, a couple of loans come up. Um, I didn't want to go and eventually I went to sign for Northampton on deadline day in January for Chris Wilder first sign um, which was which he's a great guy as obviously everyone knows and, and fortunately we stayed up at Northampton but I went there in a, a struggling team uh, and I had some good games I had some bad games I had some poor games um, and like the team did good and bad and eventually we, we stayed up you know, by the skin of our teeth but I went there I didn't score goals so I'm a 31 year old striker that that hadn't played a lot of the start of the season, went to a club that was struggling. Yes, we stayed up, but I didn't score goals. All of a sudden, that is a tricky summer. Mm. And your reputation kind of will get you so far, but then as soon as you've got a number three in front of your age, people look at you differently. Yeah. And uh, that summer, I um, haven't walked Louisville, wanted me to sign there, and it was like I could live in Bournemouth, so that was a big temptation. But I thought, nope, I'm going to see what's out there. Eventually, I signed for like... Grimsby had a bit of a uh, suspension crisis the hangover from the season before so I signed there on non-contract played I think three games I think mm-hmm. um, and I was living I was 31 I was staying in um, like a room above a pub and a bit like the sort of the off the field stuff that the fans don't see I was like what am I, I don't want to do this like, I've done this before like, and it was and yeah, so that kind of fizzled out, uh, they, and then their players came back, and it was it just wasn't going to be a long term thing. Eventually, I signed for Haven, went part time, and I'm thinking, oh, like a year ago, I was winning promotion to League One, like mad how quickly things can change. Um, and then I got injured on my debut, pulled my calf, and I just never recovered. I was part time, I thought, oh, extra rest and all that, but it was it the opposite. Mm-hmm. I lost my my yeah. sharpness, my. I lost a little bit of motivation dropping down, if I'm being honest. Um, and I just didn't enjoy it. I really didn't enjoy it. And I fizzled out. 
played a few games here and there, but I wasn't the player I was. Partly my own fault. And then maybe the, the, the environment that surrounded didn't favour my game. Um, and I ended up that summer, I was 32, as I right, and that's when I got into the coaching. So started my badges and a part part time in Bournemouth, the academy at Bournemouth. Um, so I was working with like the under 12s, which was a great learning curve and experience for me. And I was and I played I signed for Paul Town. So that was obviously another part time non league team. And again, uh, they played one up front, and I was playing as the number nine on my own, and the biggest pitch in the world, and it was balls <laughs> in the channel, and I'm fighting for second, like. And I'm thinking I couldn't do this in my prime, let alone now. And um, that again picked up injuries, wasn't fit enough, sharp enough, and just yeah, it didn't. The environment didn't suit. I didn't think my game, but I had a couple of decent moments there, but not not enough. And um, yeah, I was the coaching became a, a like a, a bug that I just loved it. Um, and I I found myself wanting to miss training games so I could be at the end like my under twelve session or my under twelve game. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is the way I want to go. So I cracked on my badges. So I retired that summer at 33, which, like I say, two or three years before that, I was I felt as good as ever. And it's just strange how it went. Um, and here I was. And um, luckily, the coaching was going well. And then I did a, a year where I was coaching part-time at Bournemouth and also doing a bit of coaching in the school in Bournemouth. Um, and then... That was a tough year and tough financially as well, by the way, because you go for any good yeah. money as you do as a footballer. And all of a sudden, my money dropped like you wouldn't believe. And I know everyone has difficult financial commitments and stuff, but it was a real shock and an eye-opener. Um, and and then that, I said, the coach went well. And a year after I retired, I got offered the youth team manager's job at Bournemouth. And I'm in, so I'm in my fourth season now of that and my sixth season of coaching and um, yeah, I love it, and like I say, I'm back at a club that, that I love, and it's given me not just it's given me not just my career, it's given it's given me a life. And I love uh, I've got my family down here, I've got my missus and my little now, and my now I've finally settled in my what I'd like to think is my forever home, um, and I'm just feel very honoured and blessed and, and lucky to be working at this club and and to to be doing what I'm doing and hopefully helping young players with my experiences to to improve really. Yeah, it's a proper who's who of Bournemouth legends. Um, Bournemouth these days, obviously, Howe's no longer there, but you got Tyndall, Perches, Fletcher, Moss. Um, Hater works with you, doesn't he? Stewart, Cooper, Fletcher, all in there from that same era. Do you sometimes sort of look around, and especially when you're during the Premier League years, and just be like, it wasn't like this then. It's mad, like, <laughs> so my boys now, like, they get more than we got as first team players, like, as in, don't get it wrong, we're not, we're not, sport. Look, our boys in the academy, we aren't spoiled, you know, we want to progress as an academy and we've still got a long way to go, but they do get, you know, certain things and they get looked after to a point, so, um, yeah, the, and even watching the Premier League, it's weird though, it almost became the norm watching the Premier League games, it's like, at the start, it was, oh, we've got, Chelsea this week or yeah. but like three or four seasons and it's like oh yeah we've got Man United at home next week like it just almost became part of the norm yeah it was um, like the one season yeah the one season where I think Bournemouth were taken seriously as a Premier League team and you got relegated didn't you really I would say yeah. I don't think that's an, like too off the mark as far as that's concerned um, what what's the goal then for you is, is are you a development coach or do you see yourself going with the seniors in the future I I don't know. I'm I'm I love my job. I really do. Like it's, it's 
you know, it's that sort of balance. Development is the main thing for sure. Um, obviously, we are in, you know, a league or in the FA Youth Cup and all the rest of it. So there is a competitive element to it, of course. But the main thing is, can we get players in our first team? And if not in our first team, can we produce players good enough to have a career? Um, so I love, you know, we're massive on actually, sounds bizarre, because my look at my own career, like we, we and I really try and improve players and develop the players. Um, whereas look at my own career and I'm like, how many coaches actually improved me? How many people really went right today? Oh, we're going to do this to make you better. You know, a lot of the training sessions I ever had, the Canio was one to be fair, that was a bit more team based. But like how many coaches go, right, we're doing this today to make you better. It's more just have a possession, have a five aside, bit of shooting and you go. That was generally it. Whereas now like we try and be real specific with how we try and improve players. Um, so that's a challenge in itself and an, an ever-evolving challenge as well. Um, so I've skirted around the question there. Um, I don't know is the answer. No. I love my job. <laughs> I can see myself doing it forever. Um, but in football, as we know, and look, you look at my playing career as an example, you, you, you just you just never know, dear. You? you just no. like you don't know. You no, just you don't know. So don't. I just I just work as hard as I can, try and improve myself and the players every day. And just see see what happens, really. But like I said, I love working at the club. I love my job, and just want to just be as successful as I can be for myself and for the players that I work with. Lovely, and what a great way to end this. Um, thoroughly enjoyed learning about your career, and you know, I always think that younger players take a lot more on from players who had careers like yourself because they get blinded by the, 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 the potential and the glory, but there also are those seasons where, you know, you, you, you've got to play in those lower league, league two teams in order to make the next step up. And, and, and hopefully they'll take something from that. Yeah, I hope so. I think, like I say, now I've finished playing like silly thing, like all the things we spoke about. I, I've got, um, I've got, I'm finally done. I always said I'd do it. I've got my medals on the wall like from the Swindon and Bradford and Bournemouth and like all on the wall and in a nice frame and, and properly done. And I look at it every day because it's on the wall and I look at it and I'm, it's great to look at, but I think there's been so many bad games in there, bad training sessions, low days and it all, but then in amongst that, I can look and there's some medals on the wall and some great memories within that. Um, mm. But I think young players, you've got to realise there are some, you're going to have bad games and days and low days and all the rest of it. I, I had loads myself, but, the rewards are there and if it, if it's if it's worth it then it's not going to be easy as we all know you've got to put that work in and you've got to find that you know that that resolve and that inner strength from from within to obviously be successful in anything that you do and that's the sort of message I try and portray to the players that, that obviously I work with now and um, yeah fortunate to have the career I had but it wasn't the wasn't perfect and it wasn't the career probably I thought of when I was seven years old thinking I'd score the winner in the World Cup final for England. But <laughs> but still proud and, and, like I say, things that I wish would have gone better. But overall, yeah, lots of great experiences and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for them. And we thoroughly enjoyed those efforts. Alan Connell, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. The Low Strangers is a Swindon Town podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was designed expertly by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon! Come on, boys!
For it's a grand old team to play for. And it's a grand old team to see. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 